<laughs> that's our song. Thank you, Stephen, who couldn't join us today. Welcome to Cinematographologically Speaking. My name is Troy. My name is Tanner. My name is John. My name is Brody. All right, awesome. So today we're missing Stephen and Elsmore. We pour one out for the homies today. Uh, Stephen's busy and Elsmore just won't respond to us. So, <laughs> <laughs> although this is, I was talking to John earlier, and this is like the epitome of Elsmore's movie. Like, I'm really sad Elsmore couldn't make it because this has him written all over it in my mind. Do you think you describe it as evil? Would this be an evil movie? Probably. No, I no. think so. I think he would. Well, really? Hold on. Wait, so? what movie are we talking about? Today, we're talking about okay. Lars von Trier's Dogville, 2003, starring Nicole Kidman, Paul Bettany, the usual crew. A whole slew of people. A whole slew. A whole ensemble, you might say. Yeah, It's like the Avengers, but yeah, it's von Trier. This is Trier's Avengers. <laughs> um, Scandinavian. Yeah, Scandinavian. Yeah, so anyway, the... Stellan, my fave. Um, he's the guy who plays Chuck. Such a beast. He's such a beast. He's in a bunch of Trier films. A lot of these people are in a lot of Trier films. Um, the guy who plays Jack McKay, the blind guy, uh, yeah. Ben Gazzara, I think has been in... Uh, hold on, I'm going to pull it up. I think he's been in almost every Trier film. Let's see. Uh, oh, maybe. Am I totally... No, 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 sorry, sorry, Udo, Udo, Udo Kier, he's been in 10 Trier films. What a beast. Okay, so right. anyway, so today we're talking about Dogville. <laughs> I think uh, Elsmore probably would have called it evil, but he also would have had a lot to say. Um, anyway, we'll just do our initial, our initial, uh, initial thoughts, and then we'll try and get into it. So I'll start, uh. I really like this movie. I find it very interesting on all sorts of levels. It definitely seems like Trier, this is uh, with maybe, you know, uh, House of Jack Bill is a competitor, but this is a big conceptual flex. You know, I don't find it exactly super relatable per se. Actually, I don't know. I think I do. Never mind. So anyway, I like it a lot. I think it's real special and probably above all, super interesting i agree i thought it was super interesting um other than that though i don't have any serious pressing thoughts that uh i have but i did like it i didn't love it though uh i really like the film um yeah i really like the uh and we'll get more into detail about this, but I, I really like the way that it uh, is able to keep you emotionally, like immediately engaged with what is currently like literally happening to the characters, but still give you this kind of emotional distance that really emphasizes the kind of allegorical uh, nature of the film. Um, not to spoil too much about my thoughts on the movie. Yeah, like you wouldn't want to tell us those. Right, when we get to the, when we get to the ratings here, but Please to me, this is one of the this is this is one of the greatest movies I've ever seen. Oh, I think. Damn. I now I'm a little bit of a simp for religious allegory, uh -huh. and I'm a bit conflicted in the sense of, and not to get too meta too fast here, but. Uh, <laughs> 
the <laughs> the once again i don't know if like i'm being fooled into thinking that something's really deep here because i said something that's obviously has religious allegory and i don't fully understand it mm-hmm. or maybe it really does possess something like truly meaningful and fantastic and i there's only left for me for more to be unco- uncovered but I was saying earlier how I feel absolutely horrifically underqualified to talk about this movie, and I can't wait to talk about it. Yeah, I feel basically the same about in terms of like unqualified. I mean, I think this is definitely Trier coming to bear, like you know something like I ain't no silly boy. I know what I'm talking about, type of thing. I don't know. But yeah, we could probably we could probably jump in on the religious allegory. Um, we read this article, or most of us did. Uh, some of us were busy, but we read this article called The Incarnation is Condemnation in Lars von Trier's Dogville, written by some crazy guy. With It says it's by the very reverend Arch, <laughs> Arch, Archimandrite John <laughs> Pantalemon. Anyway, some crazy like, name. <laughs> some crazy name. Anyway, uh, I really, I mean, I, I, when I, so this was actually my second viewing, or third viewing. And uh, it, it, the religious allegory was becoming more and more clear to me, but I still wasn't, I was still a bit confused and stuff was, John and I talked about it before, but I like this article. Anyway, so yeah, so grace, obviously as Christ. Oh yeah, I want to pitch, let me pitch the idea, I think, as I understand it. And we'll get that, does that sound all right? Yeah, that sounds Okay, great. so obviously a lot to get through, but basically it's a story of the incarnation of Christ, i.e., you know, the Son of God becoming flesh. and dwelling amongst man and the way it goes in religious or in theology or theological terms this is important because it gives god and christ the right to judge um Mm -hmm. like one might think you know had they never embodied man you know who are they you know they don't know what it's like or something like this you know who are how are who are they to hold us to the standards of god you know blah 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 but once Mm -hmm. christ embodied the flesh and maintain those standards you know now it's like who are we to think that we could escape judgment you know he did it we could do it um so anyway grace right literally uh like the etymology being the gift of god and obviously there's a lot of discussion in the beginning of the film about like uh, dogville needs a gift anyway so great grace rolls up she's the christ-like figure um and basically it's the same story of incarnation but one of extreme condemnation of man like um i don't know i feel like i'm getting lost in the i'm, I'm losing well, myself yeah, I mean, the, the thing yeah where it like splits from kind of traditional the traditional view on christ is uh salvation is kind of the traditional and then this goes into condemnation instead mm-hmm. um yeah just like the the yeah i mean ultimate like the ultimate ideal is like the ultimate judge or whatever mm-hmm. yeah and sort of like a um right grace is like a very much a new testament christ or a very new testament idea or like she has a very new testament attitude towards everything right she's like ultra forgiving ultra relativistic ultra innocent in a some in sense yeah. or at least you that was your perception uh throughout the most of the film yeah. was that she was ultra innocent maybe but I, but not naive. I never felt. I felt like she understood. 
I didn't mean naive. Yeah, yeah, I didn't yeah. mean this in yeah, that yeah, way. Yeah, I meant like it. has done nothing wrong and it's specifically nothing wrong to deserve the treatment that she's been given uh, by the people. Yeah, none that we see, right? I think we're right. led in the beginning to not quite understand her situation. Like maybe she is bad, but no. I mean, she says from the start, her, her thing is she's seen her father. I.e., right, she's like seen the face of God. Or something. Or she, she's seen the mobster's father. So yeah, it's presented from the start as she is relatively a victim. And innocent mm-hmm. and good. Um, but yeah, this kind of New Testament attitude. But instead of leaving with a New Testament thing where it's like, you know, perhaps once she re-meets with the father and gains his power and like whatever ascends into heaven, she could provide salvation uh, as like the like mainstream theological view would be for the people of Dogville. But rather, she reverts to an Old Testament more attitude. Well, what now? This is now I'm going to be exposing how little I know. Well, I, but I'm totally talking end, out my you know ass here. So yeah, but what does anybody know? What happens um, in Revelations? Isn't it something like oh boy, like the world like ends <laughs> up like absolutely like destroying and being collapsed? Nobody knows. This is small either. brain alert. No, I don't think. Okay. Okay. No one's gonna know. So, okay. I don't know because, like, my intuition, dude. This is gonna be so bad if I'm totally wrong. But my intuition is something like in Revelations that there is some sort of damnation aspect to it, where sort of everybody like dies or goes to hell or some sort of something fiery, you know, something bad. And I sort of uh, saw that final scene as a little bit of a Revelations sort of aspect to it. And then in the same sense, because I know in Revelations for sure, God or Jesus gets, turns into a judge. And in the same sense, she does. Um, yeah, I suppose that's it. Yeah, the the book of Revelation, also called the Apocalypse of John, is the final book of the New Testament, and it's uh, super apocalyptic, Judgment Day type stuff. Right, right. So it's possible that it it's possible that it doesn't venture too far off from biblical, you know, theology. Mm -hmm. Well, I think I think what's interesting though is that something that's kind of uh, one of the like tenets of Catholicism and like kind of Catholic uh, or like Christian like ethics or whatever is that like you kind of um, well there's this whole idea of like you want to be Christ-like or something in order to merit your way into heaven and not into hell or whatever you know Mm -hmm. like you versus like something uh, I believe like Protestant or whatever uh, like uh, in Protestant thinking it's like you're like a chosen people or something like this. I mean, and from my understanding, it's like the New Testament is, um, but yeah, with the Protestant thing, it's like, it's like either you're saved or you're not like, there's no merit that earns your way into heaven or condemns you to hell. So I think that, which I'm pretty sure is not a New Testament thing. I might be totally wrong though, but the, uh, the idea that you kind of get what you deserve or something like that, which I'm pretty sure is like a more New Testament idea, is still present. Um, versus, and then, but then the condemnation, yeah, I guess is Old Testament-ish, like Judgment Day or something. Um, but yeah, the get what you deserve type thing. 
Anyway, we have this. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know how to respond. <laughs> we have. We, 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 I don't know. I, I'm not sure exactly where to take it. We. We. I mean, we. We. We see. We have this Christ allegory. We have some kind of new versus Old Testament thing, especially with like, like the first thing she does when she rocks in town is takes the bone from Moses, like a super mm-hmm. Old Testament character, and yeah. uh, you know, proceeds to, you know, be good and stuff. Um, Let's see, she wields the power at the end, and she annihilates well, the I, town. Yeah. Could I say something? Um, something I, I was really intrigued by, because this is my second viewing. Um, first of all, the first viewing, I viewed it much more as like a political allegory, and Same. not so much like theological, and this time I saw that's it as an, like much bigger picture mm-hmm. than I did um, the time before. Um, and something that's interesting, okay, so that's just side note which we could talk about that more but i wanted to bring up something that's really interesting is the town's perspective on itself and um something that i was really intrigued by is chuck like the first thing he expresses to her is how he knows the people in the town are like rotten or whatever that he's not convinced by like this facade and then he ends up being the first person to like totally violate her like rape her Mm -hmm. which is kind of interesting um like i mean yeah the thing is that chuck chuck seems to be um honest in a way or like self-aware or something in a way that none of the other people are like he's kind of like the the natural man or something that is not deceiving himself in like the most extreme way is um is thomas the um this might be grasping at straws a little bit here but my because I've only seen the movie once, the film, sorry, uh, <laughs> <picture>. where <laughs> um, is I saw like each person um, in Dogville as like a flaw about perhaps the town or maybe you can more say like something more broadly about, you know, people in general or something like that. But for example, the like the blind man is a representation of say uh intentional blindness and the um the like the shopkeepers are maybe some sort of like allegory to like greed or something like that and i think what uh what was his name the apple orchard guy chuck chuck Chuck, like i think like chuck is maybe sort of a representation of i'm not sure I'm a little lost here. I or what? What would be? Suppose everyone does fit in. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not seeing it. I don't get the intentional blindness thing either. I mean, what's his name? Is like literally blind. Well, he's literally blind, but he's also concealing it and not facing and confronting the fact mm-hmm. that he is blind. And you know, I could sort of maybe say that the part where she takes off the blinds, like mm-hmm. maybe you could say that's something like revealing to him, or maybe you could even say like the scales falling from the eyes, like sort of like a Genesis thing. And like all these things are, was like stuff I was grasping at and trying to get a sense of maybe what they could potentially mean. But that's really it. And I, I have a hard time like piecing all these things together. I do find that guy super interesting, the blind man. You know, why does a man who loves the light, you know, not open his blinds? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because a lot of the stuff I haven't exactly revisited within the frame of, like, Grace as a Christ figure. 
and maybe it's just all super loaded. I don't know. I almost feel like, yeah, but. Chuck, you know, there's, and there's, to, e there's okay. even a, what are you saying? Sorry. Just to clarify, Chuck is is the guy with the truck or not the guy with the truck? No, that's Ben. No. Okay, okay. Chuck is the uh, apple I, orchard got it, yeah. rapist who, uh, I, 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 what does the narrator say? Uh, Grace had long given up trying to, like, dissuade Chuck. Uh, with respect to his idea that carnality was directly related to one's appreciation of the apple harvest or something like this, you know? Yeah. And the narrator is super interesting, I think, as well. And I think this goes to, like, this whole, like, Brechtian idea or the, the distance alien effect, alienation effect, where, like, the narrator is making jokes throughout the whole thing. Um, yeah. Right? Yeah. The narrator is constantly funny. But also seems to like side with people at times. Like, I kept thinking about the narrator and I couldn't get it. But the narrator keeps roasting Tom in the beginning. I don't know. The narrator confuses me. But it does do this Brechtian thing, which like this, uh, where it 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 takes away the viewer's ability. I'm sort of just I'm not literally reading, but trying to recall the Wikipedia we read. But uh, it takes away the viewer's ability to lose themselves so to say in the art by not breaking the fourth wall but like just from the start emphasizing that there does not exist a fourth wall and so the audience must play a role in the film so like when you're being spoken to you know you can't you can't lose yourself um you have to like operate consciously uh if that makes sense like you have to you have to like you have this you you you're sit you're sat in a strange position of like having to oh. kind of engage with the work. Yeah, the yeah yeah. It seems like so both both the narrator as well as the um the nature of the set being yeah. like a literal set or whatever. Yeah, it creates like the distancing effect, and it makes you constantly aware of the. Uh, like constructedness or whatever of the narrative. Sorry, I don't know. I don't know if this is this is like a total response to you or like if you want. No, to I think you're doing it. No, I think you, direction. No, you're okay. you're elaborating perfectly. Okay, but then the one thing that I think is really interesting is um, that. So I have a couple things to say. So first, with the whole Brechtian thing. Uh, I was thinking about like this whole distancing effect and something about plays in general is that there's so much suspension of disbelief going on when you're watching a play. And I don't know how many like plays you guys have been to, but I've been to some like really good plays and they, um, the selling point of what you're watching, like what really gets you involved in it or enveloped in what's going on is not like set design or something or how real the like kind of material elements of what's going on it's like the emotional development of what's going on yeah it, uh and so um and so with this whole brechtian thing like creating this distance um between you and what's going on by breaking the fourth wall in some way um i think that why it would work in theater this is just my initial thoughts i mean i haven't read a ton but my my initial thought is that the reason why i'd work in theater is because you can break the fourth wall and keep the audience engaged in kind of the emotional like brevity or weight of what's going on. And something with film, 
Um, with this, I think that what Trier does is he does kind of his classic, like, uh, emotional editing, um, as well as the handheld camera work, which is, uh, lends itself to a much more like naturalistic and almost like documentary style filmmaking. But then you get this distance through the set design and the narrator, um, lens and, huh? It lends itself. (laughs) <laughs> it lends itself. L-E-N-S. Oh, funny. Uh, and the, <laughs> the, the, yeah, and so and so and then you also have I mean, I think that the the script is definitely um I mean, it, it's not exactly like super realistic, you know, like cuz the script like the lines everybody says like it's still playing into this allegorical view, like into this distancing view. It's more like meta view of what's going on but the performances are extremely real feeling. And so I think that uh, there's some kind of best of both worlds going on with this allegorical, like meta distance that the audience gets through all of these different things combined with this very humanistic, naturalistic uh, way of shooting and the acting and such. And so you get kind of the emotional weight of the, uh, of the allegorical or the meta context that the film like rests inside or something like that could could i try and say that back in a different way to confirm i know you're talking yes 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 so you have this like really strong alienating effect from the set design and the narrator speaking to you and things like this which force you into a state of constant viewership like you know at all times that you're watching a movie so this is like this distancing but the benefit is it forces you to consciously engage with the performances the content etc but yeah, um, but it distances you from the emotionality. But then it brings in this super emotional, super emotional filming, you know, video work or you know, camera work with the handheld, as well as these sort of uh, extremely visceral performances. Are you saying so? It's like this constant, mm-hmm. this weird juxtaposition synthesis thing. Yeah, yeah. Which I, I think, I think, yeah. I mean, I think, I think this also like lends itself. I mean, we haven't. I don't know if everyone's watched House yeah, that Jack Built. Yeah, I was about built, to say, it's just... very much the same story in my mind. Yeah, yeah. With House that Jack Built, I'm, it, yeah, I mean, he's trying to employ the same type of things with this kind of uh, moving in and out of, like, the meta and the immediate emotional uh, instances in the narrative or whatever. And I think that Dogville very much so, where where the House that Jack Built does this in kind of, like, broken segments, like fragments, uh, Dogville tries to like overlay them on top of each other instead. Yeah. Uh, where you're getting both at like the exact same time. And then, okay, last thing is the narrator. Um, I think I viewed the narrator this time. Um, I mean, it seemed pretty clear to me that the narrator like has like somewhat a point of view or whatever that's going on. But for the most part, he's kind of like third person omniscient in the way mm-hmm. that like when you're reading a book or whatever like you like the narrator or like what's being told to you you're drifting in and out of the different views of the people that are being talked about mm-hmm. or whatever so i think that the narrator there's often times when it's clear that he's talking from tom's perspective and describing tom's how tom sees it or whatever and kind of which i don't know the the yeah. what happens because of that is you get this kind of irony or whatever yeah uh, that becomes very clear in like tom's like of the way he's thinking things and then other times he drifts over into other people's point of view uh with grace and whatnot why um 
Well, I think he's very funny, yeah. and I almost see him as a type of Bruno Gans character, like from House of Jackville, where he, alongside us, the viewer, occupies this like third-person god perspective mm-hmm. of like because because yeah. I think it seems like what we want so bad throughout the film is for Grace to adopt our own moral standards and apply them, because we're watching this film and we are like basically horrified for like the whole middle and it's just the worst thing ever and then you know when she and and the narrator seems to be in a similar perspective of ourselves but like a lot funnier if that makes it like 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 when tom when 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 when, when, i'm hilarious okay don't i'm really funny yeah like like me the narrator's (laughs) super funny yeah you're kidding yourself if you think the narrator's funny no dude the narrator narrator's not funnier than me when grace faces tom when grace accuses tom finally you know when he's like uh finally he's like he's like oh i think there's so much there's so much to talk about when grace or when tom in the end comes to her and he's like i just i just picked you over everyone i've ever known and he's like, he says, I have it in my yeah. notes. He says, we have freed ourselves within Dogville, right? So uh-huh. he tries to uh-huh. reframe because previous, he's, he's trying to get the coochie, but he's get, he keeps getting turned <laughs> down because she's like, we need to be free, you know, blah, blah, blah. So he tries to reframe freedom uh, as like something contextual within this system. And we should talk more about what that system is. And I think there's like, a, you know, something to say there. But anyway, he tries to reframe it. And she accuses him of doubting himself is the main, the main, the thrust of her accusation is that he doesn't trust himself. He doubts himself and he's giving in to the same carnality as everyone. And she, Keely says, uh, like, you're afraid you might be just human or something like this. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And that, right, just crushes him. And he's like, it's so funny when he's, when he bounces out and he's like, oh, I've got to go look at the way the moonlight glistens in the bushes <laughs> he, he says he says so, and stuff like that and he just yeah. he bounces out and the narrator is like uh she is the worst thing about this was that it's false tom this is you know tom wrong about the world of ideas this was his wheelhouse he was not wrong blah, blah. Mm-hmm. but yeah. then he's like but she was right i don't know anyway the narrator kind of switches off um but yeah i don't know i, I don't know all these little there are all these little events like that that i want to talk about where um like what's the purpose of him trying to reframe freedom like 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 what is what is being said about his reframing of freedom in the context yeah. trying to just get his carnal desires but the another joke from the narrator which is a i might add for the audience a cruel and distasteful joke is when grace the first rape where chuck okay dude we can we actually just okay sorry i'm trying to bring up all these things and we, I'd like to talk about the first rape. Wait, which what, what do you where, want to talk about? Do you want to talk about freedom or do you well, want to Well, I'll mention I'll mention with the, Okay, sorry. We can come back to freedom hopefully, but Okay. Uh oh, there's so much. But the sorry, the first rape, right? She's in there, Chuck comes in, you know, he manipulates and blackmails her and basically is like, you know, I'm going to rape you. Shut the hell up, you know. And mm-hmm. and it's this crazy scene because Right, Tom is right outside the house. The police are there. She's getting raped inside this house, but there's no walls. And, you know, I feel like this is one of those very particular moments where the fact that walls don't exist is very acutely aware to the viewer. And we just have this credible anxiety. And I might add that a lot of the time, like a book, you sort of fill in the blanks in my mind. Like watching it, like my focus 
is is di- is sometimes like in the rape scene my fo- my focus is definitely feels directed towards the fact that we're on a stage you know and there are no literal walls and other times i'm very much just like filling in the blanks and just very absorbed by the emotionality like we we're talking about earlier yeah. anyway so that so that whole right everything is apparent to everyone type of thing and i wonder right and theoretically the other people seem to be able to see that she's being raped as well and so there's this kind of hush hush everyone knows but no one says anything anyway she gets raped and then you know you know she gets raped chuck is like i'm not going to tell on you whatever tom walks by the door and sees that she's been raped but then doesn't come in you know and then the narrator says uh okay well he arrives at the door i sort of figured that there's a window in the door I, maybe that's just a total wrong assumption but I it seems like I, get- my inter- my when i watched it i thought that he didn't know he just simply didn't want to look and to me that was an example uh, of intentional uh, blindness yeah he either yeah he either didn't want to look or he looks through and doesn't want to because he, he had a feeling something sinister was yeah. happening, but he refused to confront it. Yeah. Just like a lot of the people in the town. Yeah, and Chuck comes out and he's like, you know, he just raped her and she's on the ground. And he's like, yeah, she's in there. Go check her out. You know, like he doesn't mm-hmm. even care. Anyway, but the narrator says once. Okay, I'm going to paraphrase because I don't have my notes exactly. Well, let's see. Hold it. Anyway, narrator says once. Oh, come on. Come on. <laughs> come on. He says. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Come on. <laughs> I don't remember that part. Oh, by the way. Okay. <laughs> come on, man. Come on. <laughs> okay, anyway. The, okay, the narrator, I can't, I, I didn't write down the exact language, but the narrator says, once again, Grace escaped, you know, Grace was able to escape her pursuers. He says it and he uses a little more flowery yes, language. Yeah, to make it I sound remember like, that. Yeah. Oh, once again, our fierce hero escapes her captors, you know? And she's lying yeah. there like, you know, like she's just, oh, it's so awful. Anyway, he makes a joke like that. He makes a joke as well about her escape. He makes a pun. He's like, uh, as she's trying to escape the, okay, sorry, we need to talk about the truck rate. But as she's trying to escape the town, you know, and everyone's hounding her and being mean right before she gets into the bed of the truck, the narrator's like, Grace thought to herself and she decided she was pleased that she had kept plan- her plans of escape under wraps. You know, the pun being that she oh, escapes I'm, under wraps. Anyway, so it. this is just to say that the narrator is constantly making jokes in light of the situation. But I, but if, um, if anyone wants to talk about any of those things. Yeah, I, I was going to say, well, first of all, we can talk. I, I really want to get into Tom and talk about Tom Dude, after this. But I hate Tom. for now, let's talk about. Yeah, <laughs> let's just, let's just all talk about things we want to talk about. Yeah, yeah. Let's focus on the rape just, and then let's move on to Tom unless somebody else, unless it flows into something else. Uh, more naturally but um yeah so yeah the thing with the narrator making the joke or whatever that she like she escaped her captors or whatever yeah once again it's kind of huh yeah once, yeah, once again, again she luckily is able to escape her captors yeah 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 uh I, I think that what's super uh significant about that as far as like the um audience's perspective it's like one of the first major times that we uh our perspective fully flips or suggested that like her capture may not be as bad as what's happening to her right now in dogville yeah or something like that and that and that the world that she's coming from or whatever is not any different than the world here like as chuck said like before you know what i'm saying like where he's like maybe he said the people are just as rotten here as they were but we still think we still think in the city i think we at this time still i mean i don't think it's real to the end that capture for her 
doesn't mean death. I think the whole time, I, at this time, I think we're thinking she is really stuck between a rock and a hard place. That was my perception as well. Like, it, it fully comes to bear that, oh, wow, she is totally screwed. Okay. So, she says um, something you know, at the you're end. Yeah, 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 yeah. Actually, uh, sorry, that's true because, um, yeah, that's true because then that means that the weight, like the, our hope for her escaping in the truck wouldn't make any sense. Yeah. So, I mean, it definitely is a big turning yeah, point. It is a huge turning point. I mean, where it, it, it is it a turning shares. point as far as our perspective on the, the, the town. townspeople. Yeah. And yeah, just how not, bad yeah, her yeah, situation yeah. is. Because it was just right before it was, well, she was feeling really good. There's the chapter titled in which uh, Happy Times in Dogville. And then this chapter is Fourth of July after all. So this comes on the back of really positive, like things are going well. Mm-hmm. So. You said a lot of stuff in that little, like, rant there. So I, one thing that I thought of when you were talking was you brought up the lines. And one thing that I would like to add, because I agree with you completely, that I was actually surprised, and it was consciously, it was a conscious surprise while I was watching the movie, that the lines started to, like, not mean anything. Like, I kind of forgot that they were there. And that maybe could be, like, Meaning the lines on the ground? Like yeah, the, like like to oh, me, okay. like the place felt yeah. real and it didn't feel like a set. And I think in part that has to do with the way that there were the, the, some of the some of the ways it was shot. Because sometimes it was like a real close up, and other times you could like it was really zoomed out and you could really see like the stage and where it drops off. Yeah. And but on another sense, like clearly there is this suspension of disbelief that I have when I'm watching the movie. But I also interpreted these lines and the set pieces as that it was an indicator and in showing you that the only thing that you really like need in the story are like are only a few things because like obviously when you're watching a movie like you're not looking at the grass you're not looking at like the walls like there's only a certain few things that you're actually interpreting and actually looking at on the screen uh just attentionally otherwise you have like attentional blindness to all these other sorts of things around you mm. and i think that's like that was my first go at interpretation while i was watching the movie last night i think um with that one um function that the the line serve or it being shot on a set as opposed to on location is that um and this is this goes along with some of the Brechtian things or whatever that I was reading um, is that it universalizes this story mm-hmm. because it's not, it's not, this isn't a story about a specific town that you can see, you know, like it, it create, it makes it so the stage is, um, I, yeah, the stage is like in place of the world or whatever, you know, and, and that, and that, um, and so, yeah, so basically, yeah. The narrative becomes m- much easier to universalize, or in other words, to like like be like meta applied to other things. Well, and you really get that at like the that. end with the pictures of the the farm oh my gosh, people. Yes. Young Amer- as young Americans plays. Yeah, but we can get to that so, at the yeah, end. Yeah, we'll have to get yeah. to that because that's that's a huge thing too. Um, um, one more. Th- sorry. Okay. Yeah. How dare you? Uh, just I'm re- sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, I've been talking a lot, but just just to respond to what John was saying. This universalizability. This universal, this universalicity. <laughs> anyway, right, it's true, right? Right. It, it emphasizes the allegorical nature in this whole universal whatever. 
But like House of Jack built, this is something that is like commented on by the film and tried to negate it by the film. So like, um, I think it's negated by what we talked about earlier with just um, like the cinematography, the performances, like and, and really honing in on these super emotional moments because like, you know, basically it makes fun of Tom or makes fun of the idea of, oh, let's make it universal, right? Because Tom's like, I'm writing this towards the end. He's like, I'm writing this book, you know, about this town, you know, and it's going to be universalizable or something. And she, oh yeah, or no, and like, she's like, well, you can't. Yeah, call she's it like, she's like, why not? She's yeah. like, I'm going to call yeah. it something. I'm still thinking of the name. She's like, well, why not call it Dogville? And she's all sad, you know, because she's getting raped every day for a year. But <laughs> but she's, yeah, she, you know, and he's like, oh no, you couldn't do that. See, it needs to be universal, you know, blah blah blah, right? But 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 universal and allegorical things really pull you away from like the raw motion. So it, I'm just commenting on the fact that like, yeah, the film even discusses the fact that it's doing that. But 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 it combats it with this like super raw and close like emotional aspect. Um, so and then just a quick comment, and then Brody can go. Is I just I, I pulled up the line here, and it's yet again Grace had made a miraculous escape from her pursuers. Uh, so the I'm still interested. In that. I, I don't I don't have so something that I noticed, and maybe you guys could say if you notice it too. But I realized that the shop was the only one that actually had a door. And, mm. you know, that could that could have been for like logistical reasons, because it was the one that had actually like the figurines on the um, on the shelves or whatever. But I was wondering if maybe there's any thoughts about why that could have been the only place with an actual physical door. Um, my quick thought is that I tend to think it'd be logistical, given mm-hmm. that McKay the blind man has that whole discussion of how the light, I love him and his discussion of light, but yeah, the light at the right time, the, 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 the light of the steeple of the church cast down a perfect, you know, arrow on the O in the word open. That's on the door of the shop. Mm-hmm. And later we see that happen. And he says that he thinks this is God saying to go shopping. Right, uh, right. So I think I think that that I think that I think there's a whole. I mean, at some point we'll have to get to like, you know, the market forces or like the sort of capitalism world in which like Grace is like gradually turned into a commodity and slave and etc. And worth mentioning that that the Trier has a a sequel of sorts to this film, which focuses on slavery. Holy moly! But uh, anyway, so that's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking they just had to have that door so they could show that later, but. Mm-hmm. I, I I don't I'm not sure. Well, I think that just in general, not necessarily just for the story, it's interesting. Like what um, is decided to have like an actual physical presence? Because like theoretically, uh, I mean, you could just do the whole thing pantomime, you know. And like mm-hmm. I don't, and it's clear that the the um, the presence of specific objects and such doesn't seem to be like there's no need for it for like an immerse like an immersive mm-hmm. thing you know what i mean and like like for example like on the side of the church there's just that like piece of wall yeah and and um yeah i mean the but, why it's there well, it gets interacted uh, with yeah as it gets interacted with is like why it's there which um i mean i'd like to bring up that with so few physical objects each like it, it makes each physical object uh far more important than it would be yeah mm-hmm. like everything becomes immediately symbolic of something or like possibly symbolic of something 
or just I mean, I don't know. Suddenly, suddenly, like the reason why something is there suddenly becomes far more important than it would be if it was just like physically there, like as a, a regular town. Yeah, like, and on you know? the topic of like capitalism and like ownership, like because that was something that crossed my mind um, a little bit, and that the only place that has a door is the shop, and like you know, there's some like maybe allegory about like ownership there. Or in like possession of things and like who owns stuff and like you know the things that the property people have are like things that they actually have like ownership of and yeah like you know these are all like loose ideas they're sort of like jumbling around my head when I because I've only watched it you know a few hours ago now because it was like really late when I watched it when when did you watch it I started watching it at one dude what's wrong with you man <sighs> yeah. Oh, and yeah, just a, yeah, like every, uh, yeah, uh, it only shows, is it, sticking with the idea that everything that is, exists is physically interacted with, right? It's like, uh, they're all a part of the character story. Like each item, like in a play, is like, mm-hmm. is like an extension of a character or like is required, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. required to tell the story of the people. Yeah. Right? But like some yeah, yeah. wall or whatever, you know. Which, which I think is interesting. Uh, I forget her name. It starts with a V, but the the wife of Chuck or whatever. Uh, Vera. I think, yeah, Vera. I wish that I, I don't know. I wish I had more to say about her because I think there's a lot to be said about her. Mm-hmm. Um, for her character alone and her kind of like humanist views or whatever and like teaching her kids mm-hmm. like... Uh, pagan. Uh, yeah, pagan ideas and such. Um. But then, um, as far as like the importance of objects and stuff and having to do with Vera, uh, I think one of the most like brutal or brutally emotional scenes is when the women go over to mm-hmm. have some girl talk. Girl with, talk. Uh, just girl talk. Yeah. Just girl <laughs> talk. And like smash her figurines that she had been sp- spending all her wages on. Um. Yeah, I don't know. That scene was so insane. That was by like, far the just, most brutal part. Yeah, it, it, it's crazy that mm-hmm. like in a movie, uh, actually. Yeah, never mind. cool your jets, bro. I think the part where Christ or Grace, the embodiment of Christ, gets mm-hmm. raped, <laughs> is maybe a little more brutal. But yeah. I'm with you. Oh, yeah, true. It is. I'm with you though. It's extremely traumatic. And just a quote from the movie from the narrator: "The figurines were proof that, in spite of all the suffering, something good had come of it." And it, uh, the, the the figurines are described and, as the offspring of between Grace and the town. And it's worth mentioning that obviously Grace kills Vera's children or has them killed in the same method as the figurines. And they're, of course, her offspring and blah, blah, blah. And then and then maybe maybe this is a bit like too like heady, but there's uh... <laughs> impossible. <laughs> but 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 like, you know, there's something I think there's something in there about like why it was so traumatic for her and even the viewer that these figurines get crushed because they're ugly yeah. they're not really that like good looking like who gives a fuck i've got the and answer then, so and there's so like to me there's some sort of indicator that there is something valuable not like somehow some sort of commentary about like value embedded within objects and what that means and you know there's a sort of association with like money there and like the value that she put into society and then what she's sort of also getting returned for society but like 
the, the object within itself isn't even valuable or even physically attractive in any sort of way. And I think, well, yeah, you know, I mean, that, that sort of goes into, that like, sort of goes into like maybe some sort of like capitalistic ideas about value and the nature of value or something like that. I have one proposition. So, or I have a story to tell about why, because I think you're totally right. Um, okay. Right. So the first of time, for, <laughs> of course, naturally. Okay. So the first time we see the figurines, uh, Grace, right? Tom calls them ugly. And Grace says, no, they're pretty and cute. Although the narrator says that just a month ago, Grace would have found them distasteful and garbage, you know? So this, the figurines are sort of the first part of her, as Chuck describes, falling for Dogville. Where she romanticizes it coming from the big city as this place that's different, you know, and good people and blah, 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 right? Like things might be different here. So she latches onto that, right? Plus she gets the money to buy them. Uh, or mm, maybe this is a little wrong then, but it, it seems somewhat worth mentioning that the first time where she might be voted out right after the two week period, uh, people give her money and stuff. And they give her things, and she says, you know, this was proof that Grace had friends in Dogville. She made friends. She made friends. And then, yeah, the narrator describes the figurines as, like, proof that despite the suffering in this town, something good had come of it, that she and the town were together. Now, she's just been raped by Chuck, and so we're feeling awful. But although we can sort of sense it, it's not quite confirmed to us that the whole town is run. I think this event is the confirmation that she is existing in a rotten system. Given that Vera, one, calls Chuck pure at, pure at heart, right? And basically places all blame on her, right? Grace mm -hmm. doesn't tell the truth. So that feels like a systemic problem. Like, just tell him, just tell him, you know, you're being raped. This is so awful, right? And she's got the other women to back her up. So, like, it just seems much more like a confirmation. Like, the whole town is turning on her. And um, by destroying the figurines, they're destroying this image Grace has of Dogville, like this romantic view, and as Chuck described, like falling for it. You know, she still, before this moment, was seeing it as like a good place, good people, things are different, blah, blah, blah. And like right. now this, like this vision is and, shattered. And I think I would say that the whole town is sort of paganistic, or maybe I could say um, godless, like, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I don't feel comfortable. No, that's but, good. You know, no, the, no, no, no. It's no, yeah. But you know the. So, in the beginning, it says like the the church, like it doesn't really have a pastor or anything yeah, no like no preacher. In it. So no preacher, and then you know you could say like God is dog backwards. So yeah. it's like God and then baby, right? And um, also, I'm really stretching myself here. So there seems to be in people or like ideologies that don't have any god in it it de it does tend to get replaced with these like paganistic ideals of like the small town or maybe even the noble savage-esque type of thing and that's sort of how i see how people might see a small town especially if you're living in a bigger area and that sort of sublimation of these innate like god i'm 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 really pushing myself here does, like is there does am i making sense so far or not really at all uh i was waiting for you to conclude the idea because i'm not exactly sure where you're going i think you're definitely right the dogville is godless i mean there's a lot of, like you never see a bible there's no pastor and there never will be one as tom describes the only thing that goes on in the church is tom's 
you know, ethical meetings. Moral lectures. Yeah, his moral lectures wherein he is specific that we can be religious without scripture or we can be spiritual without the Bible yeah, or whatever he yeah, says. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, Vera's children, and I maybe this is something we'll come back to, are all named after like Greek, you know, they're, they're like whatever, like uh, Achilles. A- Apollo, Achilles, whatever, except for Jason. Jason's just Jason, and he's a real bad boy. And, and he's yeah, well, no, he's Jason like a, is a is Jason also? Yeah, Jason of the Argonauts. Big brain over here, Brian. <laughs> Brian, Brian man, shut up, man. <laughs> Except for Jason, we like go into like an hour discussion. Yeah. <laughs> Jason is the odd man out here. Well, he is a bad boy and a sexual deviant. Okay. Yeah, that. Okay. Yeah, that. That scene is nuts. Oedip- Oedipal moment. Uh, well, they, should I... they should name him Oedipus, bro. Like, I don't know. <laughs> Oedipus. <laughs> um, it, uh, I'd like to continue, like, talking about kind of, uh, I mean, I think the leader in the, the um, oh, no. kind of godless town or whatever, oh, no. the one who claims himself to be the leader is Tom, you know? No, 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 but, no, no. But before, before we go into that, I, I, I just wanted to say something back with the, um, uh, the smashing of the figurines versus Chuck raping her and the way they're presented is super interesting. I just had this thought about the rape. Mm. What's called to attention during the rape is this, we immediately leave the rape and we see, and we're kind of asked to think about the whole town rather than the immediate act of what is happening and kind of its implications for some kind of bigger picture idea and it's bright because the the camera leaves it and goes outside and shows the whole town and it's called to attention like the nature of the set blah 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 how are people aware of this and kind of the the larger picture um implications of the act and then the but with the smashing of the figurines um i think why i'm inclined to say that like the kind of emotional brutality of that moment like feels much more like visceral and mean and nasty like uh is because you are uh kind of subjected to the very naturalistic cinematography and the emotional editing and it does not go further back like Mm. you like the and um yeah i mean it doesn't it doesn't cut away back to say like oh we'll look at the whole town like it doesn't call attention to itself as being some kind of allegorical moment like uh, I don't know. It's just an interesting, like, directorial decision to keep that moment, keep you inside the emotional, like, literal reality of what's happening, rather than to uh, make it like a meta moment, mm-hmm. the same way that the the first rape is with Chuck. Yeah, just to bolster this, right? I have it pulled up. The yeah, the the figurine scene one occurs at nighttime, in contrast to the first rape, which is daytime, and the whole town is illuminated, and there's people everywhere. Whereas this figurine scene, it's very dark. You're very much confined to the inside of Grace's, you know, invisible house or whatever. But it's very confined. It's claustrophobic. It's tight. And there's not a soul in sight other than Tom walking the streets in the background, uh, which is the same as well, he was walking the streets during the well, he's also just wandering the streets during the first rape scene as well. But um, but yeah, something about like. uh I don't know, something about what the town sees and doesn't see. I don't know, it makes it feel, in my mind, the figurine scene makes it feel like Grace is super being oppressed and, like, you can't, like, it's very claustrophobic and tight. But, yeah, I I, I think you're totally right. Well, I also think, I mean, if I recall correctly, you still get some of, I mean, the only time it calls, I I mean, I'm pretty sure that during the smashing of the figurines, you do get 
shots that are focused on Tom's uh, lack of participation in what's going on or something like this. And I think that it actually, it sets up really well for what comes right after, which is some kind of much more uh, uh, focused um, kind of discourse or the, the tension between Tom, uh, Tom and his relationship with her and his uh, relationship with like, uh, 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 like um, the, his morals and stuff. Um, yeah. And his kind of, his kind of hypocritical like views or whatever in relation to her. Um, and I, yeah, I think the juxtaposition, the only kind of meta juxtaposition that's made is the fact that it, uh, rather than the whole town, like it's still, it, uh, it's just him. Does that make sense? And that this like sets up like some kind of more focus, uh, a more focused, the more focused narrative of Tom rather than just the town, because that's, cause right after that is when we get like the scene of him like coming in and he starts talking to her more frequently or whatever. And we get lots of scenes coming in and talking to her and being hypocritical and blah, blah, blah. I think so. Just, you're just saying like sort of pointing out the similarities between the figurine smashing and the like insanely depressing conversations that take place between Tom and Grace in Tom's place or in, in Grace's place. Um, where he, where he's well, I'm to... still contrasting it. I'm still contrasting it with the Chuck rape where in the Chuck rape you go, uh, it, like the camera goes back and it shows the whole town or yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. But in this, it's like, as you said, he's the only one wandering the streets and he's the only one that gets any kind of focus or whatever, like the only breaking of the, the fourth wall or whatever, or the uh, audience's awareness of the stage set or whatever mm-hmm. is uh, to allow Tom in is to allow Tom inside of this like scene that's going on. So his ina- you're saying his his inaction is highlighted. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Tom, I'm sure fancies himself a Hamlet. Um. Um. Yeah. <laughs> and he does a lot of Hamlet things. Yeah, I mean, he is sort of, I think he probably, I mean, he definitely fancies himself, he is, him, what is it, Hamletian? Hamletian? Yeah, he's like, you know, he's a thinker and he basically never does anything. Um, so just to, like, I just want to, like, piggyback off a little bit about that. Yeah. So, something that I found was strange was that when he was introducing the thinker that, um, what was her name? Mrs. Don't know all the kids. Oh, Vera? Vera. Vera. uh Vera, um like he was like oh you know he's just some like oh yeah thinker <laughs> it- guy I, and i don't know like some dude and it was so strange because like he posits himself and i um, was led to believe that he was some like thinker he, like he no. was this kind of person i have the line for you if you want it might be a little different than what you're thinking uh, okay anyway well, he calls he says he's this intellectual but not so intellectual that he can't tour the provinces. Hmm. So he kind of hmm. places himself above. I see. He places, I get it. He places himself above, you know, he's okay. like, yeah, he's yeah. intellectual. Like, like the way, you know, someone might be like, you know, you know, Jordan Peterson's yeah. an intellectual, but yeah. not so intellectual that he can't sell <laughs> millions of copies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I read Hegel, you know, I get yeah, it. Yeah. Hegel, <laughs> Hegel made no money. That's how you know. Um, should we, does someone want to say more on some kind of thing or should we try and get to Tom? I hate I'm Tom. down to get to Tom. Uh, I feel like I have a, let's just get to Tom. Do you, do anyone, Jolly, yes, anyone got some? 
Uh, I, I hate so. Tom. I do too. Worst person ever, probably because it's like the most pointed, you know, insult at me or any of us, uh-huh. any of us uh-huh. artists. You know, he's just like the worst version of yeah. like the artist who fancies himself as sort of Hamletian or something. Because I think everyone wants to kind of identify with Hamlet as a way to like, you know, creatively describe their lack of output. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I, I, I feel like people, I feel like that's what a lot of people, like a lot of people, you know, think they're thinkers and artists are like, oh, Hamlet, so true. That's why I haven't done anything because <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm so busy thinking. Well, it's, it's funny. In all of his conversations with um, Grace, it seems like she's, she always knows what he's going to say. I get that. Mm-hmm. Does anybody else get that sense? Like she 100%. always knows what's going to yeah. come next. And she's like kind of playing along to it. And he thinks he's like so awesome when he's doing it. Yeah. 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 He, she, I mean, she's obviously way smarter than him. She beats him in checkers easy handed, like, you know, single handedly just to establish that, you know, she's the real brains. But, but yeah, yeah, yeah. She, and she I mean, just contributes to just her enormous strength. I mean, the fact that she can listen to Tom deliver a line where she has attempted to escape, it's revealed that Tom foiled her escape. He plans the escape foils her escape which you know during the escape she gets raped and you know all this stuff and then he's explained to her that he foiled her escape and he ruined it and she's like why and he's like or no no he explains how everyone thought that he had taken the money but he was able to convince them that she had stolen the money and so now she's chained up you know with the wheel so awful and she's like why'd you do this and he's like Mm -hmm. well if i get chained up I'm doing the thing. He says, we need us or we need me to do the thinking for us is the line he yeah. says, <laughs> you know, which first of all and, is what uh, exactly what he does for the town. You know, he has just done the thinking for the town to ensure that he can do the thinking for her. But yeah, she obviously knows and to have the strength to just be like, to respond to that by saying, oh, Tom, please don't leave me. What would I do without you? Oh. And then, and then to like go a little bit like, oh, no. on like it's like it's like like the town's like godlessness. Like to me, like this sort of idea that like you could posit your own sort of like logos into uh, like supersede God, so to speak. Yeah. That like that is that is a, I feel very present in this movie, and then that will lead to sort of a, a hellish nature of a town. What's um, funny is that a godless. He... Yeah, is that like the the morals or whatever, like his his uh, ivory tower ideas or something that are going to lead the town into into being totally human or whatever he says. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's all undergirded by his uh, carnal desire. Yeah, like, like yeah, his, yeah, yeah, his, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's just so funny because it's like because it's like he like intellectualizes away his. Uh, what's actually driving literally all his actions, which is totally and, just yeah. pursuit of and he's a dower as an object. And uh, and I think that this is I think this is my favorite part about this movie, which is that I think it highlights this very well that in sort of a, a godless town where you know sort of morals become relativistic, that all that leads it open to is you sublimate it with the logos. And that all things become justified, and really you are simply a, um, like a puppet of your own like carnal desires, mm-hmm. and that 
it sort of what's required is maybe like a higher being. And when Christ comes in, that is the savior that that is then beginning to expose people to like their actual flaws. You know, like he exposes that, you know, that they're blind and then he's able to like recognize that. Um, and, um, you know, opening the blinds is sort of like revealing that and also getting a better, like the, the Apple guy getting a better idea of like why he actually hates the town. And like, she's sort of revealing all these things and it's actually through that process is when they begin to get saved. And then I think it's like, so psychologically like true that the moment like good things start to happen, that they completely take it for granted and like they completely destroy it. And I was like, I was so furious in the middle of the movie that I really just wanted her to leave. And then that way they could like show that town, that piece of shit town, like how much worse that they would be without her. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. Uh, that, she's literally a gift. Yeah. What's, what's interesting about that is that like the town, um, if she didn't ever come to the town and offer access, basically, there'd be nothing for the town to exploit. And so they would live in some kind of, they would live like in complete denial or ignorance of their, uh, like sin or whatever, or their, or their, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, She, she, yeah, she introduces, okay, there's so much I want to respond to there, but we will first Brody's comment. I mean, worth noting that the town basically lives on apples, this sort of, right tree of knowledge and like fruit sexual symbol yeah and uh it's also like their market thing like they 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 commodify the apple as well but yeah and then also to john's point right she it is it's explicitly said it it, 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 it's so funny the way that it's phrased multiple times as grace is there to do things they don't need done but might want done and and just this like perfect uh simple description of like uh excess value like the birth of the marketplace or something like this so so yeah yeah a gift a gift instantly turns into well they want to pay for it well then they want to try and lower the wages until it's a slave and all these things like all these market forces just like totally destroy the gift um of christ uh and then i have a bunch to say about what you were talking about brody or uh the the superseding of God, right? Tom. Yeah. Okay. Here we go. Okay. So Tom. Ugh, I hate Tom. Okay. Dude, Tom is the worst. Okay. We okay, all so, hate Tom. We all hate Tom. Okay. So this, this might be a bit rambly. So, you know, let me know if whatever. But okay. So just the simple structure of what I'm thinking is Tom, right? Tom wants to be the ideologue, right? And he's totally driven by carnality, right? And he wants to like sort of assume power or, or some kind of whatever, right? He wants to be this intellectual. Um, he is, okay, we need to talk about arrogance real quick, right? Okay. So we've got the two types of arrogance, right? One in which, okay, let's talk about the the movies, the film, the film's (laughs) definition of arrogance, wherein, you know, this is grace, right? She is so arrogant that she doesn't give people the human dignity to where they can be held at the same moral standards as herself, right? She basically assumes they couldn't do it. There's another type of arrogance that sort of Tom displays where he thinks he knows better than everyone, right? And, and, and similar to what, you know, grace slash God, Old Testament action in the end. Anyway, so Tom tries to sort of inject this logos like you were talking about and do the thinking for the town and establish this like his, his, his moral brigade or it's 
his the narrator when when Tom in the end is confronted by Grace as uh, he is doubting himself and thinks that he might just be human, i.e., carnal and a dog, which he totally is. Um, right? This threatens his uh, whatever it is. So ugh, I'm losing it. Anywho, he tries to play God by su- or he tries to supersede God or naturalism of like the dog world, the carnal, right? Let's say carnal is natural. And then later I'm going to try and imply that God is natural. So he tries to supersede this with these sort of very human and or, or inhuman as he would see himself, right? He is above the human. He is above the animal. And right? you could say that that's also a reason why he's the only one who didn't really rape. Uh, yes, her. right. He's trying to hold he himself, really, he, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's okay, the conflict. Sorry. Yeah, that's the conflict he's facing is between his, his, in, his superhuman ethics versus his like very human carnal but, desires. But even but as very as very base, it's still absolutely there. Yes. Because he's still but, he's still subconsciously like yeah, it's there just manifesting. Doing all these yeah, yeah. Right, he yeah, keeps yeah. her there. He does all differently. This stuff. Yes, he's, he's manifesting it. himself differently. Right. Okay. Yes. Um oh, and there's another thing to be said real quick about Chuck, where Chuck tries to yeah. warn her off, right? Chuck Chuck exercises some city ethics, some education and you know, some educated ethics and saying, get out of here. You're being deluded, you're blah 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 blah. But then it's possible that he, being the holdout vote, in the end, votes to keep her there so he can rape her. He, he gives right. in to the carnal as well. Yeah, uh, I mean, it, well, he seems to be kind of aware of his carnality, though. Yeah, yeah, know? yeah. I have yeah. notes I have yeah. notes that say, is uh, Chuck nihilist? Um, anyway, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, 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 so then... Good question. Know, yeah, so then Grace... So then Grace... <laughs> so he's trying to supersede God, right? But then Grace... In the end, when she takes her walk to think about things, right, and she comes to her conclusion that should she be in their position, she would have never done it, you know, and thus, you know, it's right for her to impose her, you know, finally measure them by the same stick. Anyway, there's this conversation where she is thinking about the bushes and she goes into the multiple times. The bushes bushes are talked about where before all this stuff happens, sort of in the middle of the movie, she is so pleased to be working with the bushes because it says... She's, she, she likes that there's something she can hold, yeah, unlike the ideas bad. which are plaguing her. And she talks other times where she's plagued by her prejudices. And when she's in her super low moments of being raped every day by everyone in town and all these things, what she is so bogged down by is her own thoughts of prejudice. She hates that she hates being raped or something. She hates that she feels the prejudice. Anyway, so she likes the bushes. And then she, when she's on her walk, you know, and assuming the, the role of God and like re- reuniting with the father... She's in, she's interacting with the bushes and she sees them and she says what she likes about the bushes is she knows that if you treat them right, they will come back in spring or they will come back in the summer and bear beautiful fruit or whatever. And this sort of very natural law of nature is that you should treat something right and it will bear fruit. And if you don't, it will not. And, 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 and she sees her, she is this bush. She is the, and, you know. And, and, well, and also part of treating something right is not to let them like give in to like carnal desires and these things like part of it because like when she comes in initially is she was not actually wanted right yeah so part part of what's actually good for people is actually to face the things that you don't want to like let in like new ideas and you know sort of have this openness and also to um like stop lying and deceiving yourself like look everybody knows you're blind like let's just be open about it like everybody Mm -hmm. you know all these sorts of like other things of actually like things that are difficult in the short term, but actually come to bear fruit if you, and that's part of treating something right. Yes. The whole thing about bearing fruit and it's repeated by 
by evil Chuck. When wait, the thing he says <laughs> by evil by, by, by evil Chuck. What is what is what's the line? Lion Chuck or something like this? The the whatever. Anyway, he's evil Chuck. Right before he rapes Grace, the first time he says, you know. I can make the I can make the trees blossom early, or he says like something where he's like mm-hmm. I can force the I can force the trees to bear fruit. Yeah, early like I am if above I nature. To. Like I, yeah, I can control yeah, yeah, yeah. this. Yeah, yeah, I can control this. I'm and above I can control God you, once again. Right? So he immediately yeah. likens her to the bush. She likens herself to the bush. Anyway, so then God ends up superseding Tom. Like God is above Tom, and Tom sees God. Like Tom, uh, God is both. Okay, so Tom sees God as the thing beneath him. The natural, the animal, right? But he but he misconstrues the animal with like the dumb and the simple and the instinctual or something, right? And Tom places himself above that. And then true God, at least in the film, is both the thing above Tom and the thing below Tom. Like, yeah, well, right. God is the bushes. There's, there's God an is the, yeah. there's an integration aspect yes, of yes. like the the desire and also to be above it. Yeah, it's integrating, uh, which, which which I think is which I think is um which I think Grace sort of says, which is like, there's nothing to be ashamed about when he said uh, that the driver who goes to the whorehouse, mm-hmm. you know, and, and so in some sense, like that was a Christ-like figure because it's like an act of forgiveness, mm-hmm. but it's also like to say that, well, it is part of like human beings, but that same thing is also what is completely ravaging the town. Like that's the, that exact same thing that she forgave him for. She ended up, he ended up, just that same desire he ended up raping her like really yes you know yeah 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 it's the integration of the below and the above the below being you want to eat the berries you want to just you know ravage the berries and the above being understanding that by the laws of nature and how whatever life works like just the way things are is you need to treat the berries right Mm -hmm. right but that that's a second like that's an abstraction of like learning about the natural world and like having a better perspective that not just is more educated but like coincides with like value and utility and like making things work and bearing fruit right all these things anyway so uh i just thought that was worth pointing out that like in the end this integration occurs between like the the the, the bad view of carnality and like an understanding of the way the world works which yeah. isn't mm-hmm. which is not in any way in in incompatible with the the carnal world or whatever and then grace you know rains down doom oh my gosh i want to talk about dude i'm so hyped when those kids are getting killed <laughs> okay right right oh, okay, right? John, John, okay wait, i want john to say i want john to say wait. what he's gonna say first and i feel like we haven't even really started talking about tom dude i'm getting sweaty. um i oh, what was i even gonna say i got lost in the rant the uh not to say the rant's bad at all is all very good evil uh, chuck and lion tom <laughs> Ah, uh, what was I gonna say? I was gonna say <laughs> Tom Edison Jr. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, dude, what a dude, what a what a great what a great name. And then also in the beginning, he's reading uh or the Tom Tom Edison Sawyer. Tom he's, Sawyer. he's reading Tom Sawyer. Yeah, it's so and, funny, uh, dude. <laughs> um, apples. Yeah, I, I was gonna say just like a particular we hate Tom moment yeah. is when. Uh, but the thing is, the I I changed perspectives from the first time I viewed it and the second time I viewed it. Um, the moment when he like tries to tell her that he loves her or whatever, when they're on mm-hmm. the bench and it's the 4th of July, the first right. time I watched right it, scene. I was like, I was like, this dude is such a coward, but I like viewed it with sympathy, you know, like I was just like, yeah. okay, Cringe. it's kind of, it's kind of cute a little bit. Like he's so like nervous about it. He's like feeling this real feeling. The second time I watched it, like knowing what happens, 
Like I just hated it so much. I just wanted him to just grow a pair and just yeah. just say just admit that he is like a carnal being mm-hmm. and like actually just concede that he is attracted to her. But instead he's like he's like it, like she says like well I love you and then he's like and then he's like he's like it's, it's interesting yeah isn't it and he's all like looking around yeah, for you like, for you like, for you isn't it like psych- like psychologically yeah. like he just yeah, doesn't, yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, like he yeah. can't even he doesn't even have the ability to talk about why it's interesting psychologically yeah. or whatever yeah. he just he just yeah. like it's just totally like a moment yeah. where you where he is just completely subjected to his denial of his carnality at yeah. the same time as leaning on instead like, to these ideas that he doesn't even understand and he's at like, all. yeah he's like he's an absolute sued who like believes he's like the top of the town <laughs> because you. he like destroys some literal like brain dead dude and checkers. Checkers. <laughs> like you know it's, it's you know of all Poor things guy. checkers like what a, yeah 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 yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah it is, it is funny that it is checkers it's like i mean i, I, I <laughs> you're being an idiot at an idiot's game but i think like part of it is like I don't think we're supposed to feel bad really for anybody in that town because, and this will lead into the final scene, is I think she realizes, you know, when the moonlight comes in, like that darkness. Yeah, we got to talk about the lighting. And then there's darkness and then the light comes in. And this time it's specifically like the moon, you know, so there's something about yeah, that, the two um, there's two light shifts where the narrator acknowledges that a light is shifting and something looks different. And, and then she, she sees like that you know, the, like, so while they might be enacting in these, like, carnal desires, you know, like a dog, that they, that's still unforgivable. And, you know, there's something about it where my interpretation was, like, human beings have free will. And, like, that's something that because, and we have to, act, like, give people that sort of credence, that that's something that responsibility of freedom yeah. of free will and that's puts us above animals in that sort of sense and she realizes that and that you know she says like obviously if i were doing these actions then i can forgive myself and things like that but the one that she spares is the actual animal is the dog yeah and yeah and then which is to say that like because like the dog maybe really is moses actually that and i was so angry because the dog's name is moses and i yeah. was like I don't know fucking shit about the Bible. Who's Moses? What did he do again? This oh, river man. splitting? I don't know anything. <laughs> <laughs> um, what does wait, this mean? So he, he, you, can, you, can, you can think of him as emblematic of the Old Testament. So, I mean, it makes sense that she assumes a more Old Testament perspective, like, the, you know, the, the wrath of God, and she spares Moses. Well, okay. So, something about the dog, going back to what Troy is saying about, like, the, the like, nature or whatever being underneath and above. Um, the dog uh, is, like... It is like a symbol of this. And I think that something like a, a moment or something that's very telling of this is both the sparing of it at the end, that he's like this representation of carnality, but he's also not, um, I mean, yeah. Okay. So he's this representation of carnality. And in the beginning, he, uh, there's a line that the narrator says something about the dog recognizing the danger or something that's at hand when he barks and like growls was, at mm-hmm. yeah at, the, the bark sounded like he was in right in front of something a force to be reckoned with yes so exactly and so it's like the dog while being like the representation of the animal or the, the 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 carnal or whatever is also still recognizes the 
uh, I mean, I don't know. He's woke on the fact that the that the <laughs> town will be judged or whatever. You know what I mean? Like he recognizes the actual power of like grace before it like comes to fruition or whatever. And then and yeah, and then he gets spared. Well, yeah, and he he. I mean, he, he he's useful. He's useful. He serves his role properly as like some kind of integration between like these really incomprehensible ideas. I mean, at least to the dog of like social security, right? Like he's like this sort of warning system type thing. But he's also yeah, just a straight dog. Who's like, you know, anyway, so yeah, as like some kind of Old Testament thing, like uh, if, if it's meant to be some bolstering of the Old Testament, like it makes sense. Like, yeah, the dog serves a purpose. It, it, its carnality is put to good social use and like it works with the town and stuff like this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's some kind of synthesis with like the, 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 the bearing fruit or whatever, the higher then, idea of like the, the purpose of nature or something like this with the carnal. Like, and one of the... As like being the same thing. One of the lines was... Like, oh, you know, don't don't shoot him. Like, you know, he's just mad that somebody took his bone. Yeah. You know, and then like there's something about it's like, well, there's there's really like nothing she took like his bone. evil evil or anything like about the dog. Like, you know, animals can't be evil. Maybe maybe that's a whole other conversation with uh-huh, itself. Uh-huh. But like we typically don't view animals as evil. Like lions when they go and they like chase down like a rabbit or whatever and tear it apart and eat it, we don't see that as an evil act. But when human beings are actually capable and like this is a very biblical idea, that human beings are the only things that are actually capable of good and evil. And like that's what actually separates us from animals. Uh, I think I think that that's like an appropriate um like an impro- an appropriate assumption to make at least to the movie because the movie because it's like a it's a very it's like a literary idea you know like that's just present in everything and like biblical and whatnot so it's like I think that like you don't need to get into the debate of like yeah or, I don't or, I was like, hoping we didn't I was hoping oh, okay we didn't. yeah 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 I don't think <laughs> you need to because I think I think I think we you can take it as a given but I want to say we can I continue talk talking the, I but talk I want to say dog. that. Yeah, you can, you can, okay, okay. you can go right after this. this is a, thank you, thank there's you. nothing to be followed after this. Uh, that Trier wrote this script in three weeks, uh, and I, I just want to say like just how insane that is. That like, dude, I haven't like, done shit uh, in the last three weeks. You will how, never be an artist. You will never <laughs> be an artist. Like, or I think it was three. I, yeah, I don't, yeah. I don't remember. But he says in an interview like yeah. that he that it just like flowed out of him. It took him three he, weeks, and then they're he like, probably just lied. They always, <laughs> they always <laughs> write him so fast. Bergman always talks about. I mean, Bergman wrote Persona in like a week or two or something like that as well. But um, yeah. okay. Uh, the dog thing. I think Brody brought up something super important, and the I I don't know. I just want to talk a little more about the dog carnality, specifically Old Testament. Um, because I think. The line the Brody references is, is might be the last line in the movie. So if you're looking, I have it pulled up or whatever. So the narrator says, you know, talking about Moses, uh, his survival was astonishing, a miracle, or was an astonishing miracle. Grace says, no, let him be. They will have spotted the flames in short time by now. Blah, blah, blah. Someone will come and find him, blah, blah, blah. Sorry, this is taking a long more, you know, bark, bark, bark. <laughs> <laughs> and also, I don't get, you know, with, uh, he's just angry because I once took his bone. I thought, I could have sworn it said someone took his bone. But I once took his bone. Anyway, Grace takes his bone, right? I don't know. I'm just, I, I'm, I'm making a connection, but I don't know what it means, right? But Grace, right, sort of this New Testament attitude comes into town, takes his bone, right? Away from this sort of Old Testament figure. Um, I don't know. He seems to be mad that everyone's dead. I don't, I don't know. I'm just, it just seems interesting. But yeah, that is the last line in the film is he's just mad because I once took his bone. 
Although I could have sworn when I watched and now, the and that was that was the and that was the what, um. But he survives. And like, and then taking the bone was obviously her first sin introduction. Well, it was her first introduction as well. Oh, the yeah, first true. time that she's seen. And like, this is the point where like brainlet. I I don't know as much about the Bible as I wish I knew, um, because like I'm I'm almost positive there's something about there like when Christ's introduction and maybe Christ. Like, I'm still stuck on this idea that the last scene is Revelation, despite me knowing fucking Jack all about Revelation, but yeah. You more than me. And also, just another add to thing, I'm trying, I'm hoping someone will pick up something, but I mean, the last shot of the film, I mean, of course, the photo sequence is of extreme importance, and we'll have to talk about that, maybe, if we're, if we're, if we're big brain enough, but uh, the last shot of, like, whatever, the formal film is the dog becoming real. Yes. Right? And what does that mean? He's real and he's barking at the camera. And we're um, above him. Yeah, we're above him, coming down to him. He's barking at us. He becomes, like, he materializes. Um, yeah, I mean, what's, I mean, look at the final, the final frame is a bunch of dead bodies. The New Testament rolling out. Or no, New Testament's gone. I mean, I feel like the New Testament integrated or whatever and is now just like Wrath of God or something. Anyway, Grace and all of them are rolling out in their nice automobiles. And all that's left is... Moses, who materializes in the reality. I don't know. Um, the only thing I'm thinking of is like the obvious, like it lines up with a general message of like Old Testament is based, New Testament whack, and uh, something like this. <laughs> well, no, I, I mean, actually, I, think, I actually I think agree with that. Of, I mean, maybe, maybe. Well, because I mean, as we were talking before, it's like the the maybe the conclusion or whatever are kind of the main interpretations of the new Testament, uh, in like Catholicism and such is yeah. whack blown whack. out. And right. Yeah. yeah but, Cause if this is a story of the incarnation, but, but as condemnation instead of salvation, then yeah. this is just new Testament blown out. Yeah. Old, but Old I, Testament think, I think reigns I, supreme, but I think that there's still like, uh, I mean, I still think that the the like figure of Christ or whatever, in many respects, besides the conclusion of salvation, is still relevant and present within side like the ethics of the film or something. It's just, just used reframed to a different yeah reframe. Um, side comment: if there were if there were ever a thought that that oh, if only these people had the education, if only these people knew the technology. They would be better, right? They're just so poor. You know, Grace yes, Grace yes. teaches the engineer, right? Grace introduces engineering tactics that are only ever used to enslave her. Right. <laughs> and um <laughs> Yeah, and there's there's something about uh because something another reason why I really like the movie is that like there is this idea that and I think this ties into the pictures at the end, that there's this idea that like in poor towns like they truly are only like a product of their environment mm. and like all of the things that's happening to them all these negative things that are happening to them are have nothing to do with themselves they're doing their and best and i think and i think yeah they're just trying to do their best but like this what this movie exposes is like they are actually <clears throat> implicit and um was responsible for like their own condition the own condition of the town that they're in and like they're actually because they're in a godless place they're, because they're sinning is actually the reason why the town is so awful 
Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah, and yeah. I think it's I think, like, like I think, the reality. I think, of, I think I, I want to hear more arguments. Like I want to hear crazy thing to say. I want to hear more arguments on why you think that. Like why? Like uh? Like you know? Show how they are the cause of their poor conditions. But I think I mean you're totally right. Like and in the audience, like as an audience member, you have no. Like it it it, it was so incredible, and maybe this will we can talk about the political because there's obviously a lot of politics at play. Mm-hmm. Um. Like the audience, it, the film, what is so interesting is it turns the audience into this total fascist, basically. Like it turns the audience into a, a fascist dictator, yeah. godlike dictator. And there's never a moment where, you know, when where she's being raped and you're like, oh, you know, he's doing his best. It's like, no, yeah. you know, obviously. <laughs> and she says, right, they're doing the best. And then she's like, no, their best isn't good enough. And it's just like the case that the best isn't good enough. But yeah, I mean, if you want to talk about the side of the sort of fascist democracy yeah, dichotomy, uh, because the town yeah. is constantly revolves around this democratic voting. Well, and uh, there's right. And, 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 and I mean, Tom makes some statement. He's like, we can't always just be voting on everything. You know, Tom wants to be a dictator mm, too, right? Yes, he wants yes, to mold the yes. place, but he's like, well, he says, we can't just keep holding plebiscites. It's time for, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to think for you, you know? Yes. Yes. But, I think- but, 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 but sorry, but Tom is sort of there contrasted with the wise grace, but then grace in the end is this like total, you know, you know, kill the poor. I think that, um, to Brody's point, um, I think that the, the main point the film is making is that the, or one of the main points in, uh, relation to what you were saying is that the reality of their environment does not exonerate them from judgment. Yes, exactly. But exactly. whether or not, whether or not, they are in control of it is a completely different question. Whether or not they could have done different is, is a different question that I think, I, I, I mean, I don't know, I haven't thought about that a lot. Mm-hmm. I think that, um, I mean, thinking about that right now, I don't think that the film explores that very much. Okay. Okay. Well, I want to talk about the last thing a little bit. First, I want to take stock on everybody's, like, um feelings at the end when they were all being like so completely hyped okay you, they were hyped. Okay. I, I was hyped about that. i was yeah. gratified okay i think there's yeah, some yeah, kind maybe. of tempo thing where it's like especially my first viewing because it's different the second i'm like the second one i'm already like devastatingly depressed before any really bad thing starts happening right it's just so awful but it gets real bad it gets nightmare and then all of a sudden you live in this nightmare for so long, it becomes tiresome. And, so, the, and the length of the movie really starts to kind of weigh on you. I felt like, okay, this is just like, you're no, you don't have the energy anymore to like really appreciate the fact that she's being raped by everyone in the town every night for months. Right. Yeah, like, I mean, it just like, it just absurd. becomes, it becomes absurdly nightmarish. And so when it's so, so, so it's almost as if, like on two levels, one, like ethically or morally, you want really bad things to happen to these people. But also just like film as craft and like the pacing, right? When you get to the point where you realize like bad things can happen, you become like, like you're, you're drawn into the film, both by your desire for bad things to happen to them, but also because something exciting is going to happen. Something new. It's not just going to be a nightmare, right? It's well, like, okay, you know. And then, yeah, but the fact that it turns me into, like, someone super excited to watch children get gunned down in front of their mother, like, that that is important. Something that was so fascinating to me is that 
like throughout most of the movie, I was feeling such like empathy. I was feeling like so bad for her in this situation, mm-hmm. you know, and like obviously when you're, you know, you're feeling empathetic and things like that, you're, you're, you believe to be like a pretty like moral person. And then at the end there, I was feeling as, as awful as like joy when I was like watching like this lady's kids get gunned down. Yeah, they hold you know? an infant. They hold and, a gun straight to the infant. And you're like, yes. Yeah, exactly. And then she's like crying. And like, <laughs> you know, and then, and then, you know, and it's so strange because it's like, it really ties into this idea of like, empathy is tied to this like sort of violence and this like sort of Nazi or like destructive behavior. Like they're, they're not separated at all, you know? And, you know, the, uh, Venture has an interview where he says that he understands the Nazis. And I think that is in part, in part, an exploration of that um, to some to some capacity that I I could both feel like uh, just the, the relationship of those two feelings that seem at first thought to be totally separate, but actually connected. The feeling when God's angels incarnate as the mafia kill a baby right let's right go. right <laughs> <laughs> let's go no but yeah it definitely no it's super super interesting and if anything yeah it's almost like demonstrating a point to you like the audience like like i feel like you're supposed to catch yourself at least afterwards and be like wait what like i was hyped at this baby being killed i mean i'm assuming that this is a general response to the audience i mean I, i've watched this with other people who aren't as like super big brain as me, you know, just normal people. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They're not, <laughs> they're not smart. They don't get the, it. They don't the get city, the movie, I've watched like this I with do. people who you could call <laughs> citizens of Dogville. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But but yeah, I mean, I've watched with people and, and, and they had the same experience. And it's just like, um, it, it, it just proves the point with you as the illustration. Uh, you know, like you yourself are just hyped on this total uh, tyrannical violence. Um. Yeah, and, and just what you're saying, like, uh, in terms of, like, the connection between empathy, like, right, it's, uh, I mean, certainly something about justice, right? And Grace saying, Grace, like, assuming the role of judge, jury, and executioner, and her saying, you know, she, she has a couple different reasons for why she wants to wipe Dogville off the map, but one of them is, like, to bring justice for herself. Mm-hmm. And she's like, you know, it could happen again. And it could, mm-hmm. it could happen again. But yeah, it could happen again. And, like, this is... At least as she as she sees it, the only way to like make good on how victimized she's been. There's a question. I mean, as to whether or not it's. I mean, uh, I mean, it's definitely not right to kill the kids, you know. But you know, killing killing yeah. Chuck, I wouldn't be. Uh, whatever. We're not about to talk about you know <laughs> death penalty, but you know what I mean. Um, something that I really like is that the only time, um, Tom concedes his view is after the judgment has already um, yeah and that that solidified him as somebody that i hated by the way and then and then he's like do you mind if i use this for a novel or (laughs) no no, yeah he's like can i use this as inspiration my next novel or whatever but then he says yeah he says your your illustration sure beat the hell out of mine or whatever but yeah i mean it's him i love that like little interaction that they have because it's his uh uh total conceding and like really coming to the uh coming face to face with the consequences of everything he's done and he's allowed to express himself unlike the rest of the town who just gets like shot or like he's allowed to express himself in uh i mean he's allowed to like expound on yeah he's given a chance uh, and he throws it in the toilet 
Yeah. Well, I wish his oh, death the, was worse. I wish he the, suffered more. The the way that I saw it was that like at at only at the point where he becomes sort of repentant is when he's actually face to face with what is about to happen to him. And all throughout the the film, like he was just being a total coward, total puss, like not owning up to some of the bad things that he's done. And then only at that point is when he starts to own up to it. And uh, I think that that's when, I think that's actually the point where she turns, right? Because the mafia comes, she's like, you know, I'm scared. Like, you know, you can't explain me for being scared and all this sort of like stuff. Yeah. And he's the one invited him in, you know, he's the one. Yeah. yeah. Joel, were you hyped on the babies getting killed? Not so much the baby, but uh, Jason, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, yeah, that, scene, that scene is so horrible. It seems so horrible. And it's so funny, too, because it's so... um Right? Like, the there's, like, no graphic violence of any kind. Like, their deaths are, like, so theatrical. Like, they're just, like, you know, flailing. Yeah, and, like, the, and muzzle, the, guns, the muzzle, yeah, the muzzle flashes and the stuff. The muzzle flash. Like, like, nothing is... Like, it's so unreal no and yet so hype. Um, but, yeah, yeah just, was, just on the which, message of illustration... Well, for, I wish Tom's death was more painful for him. But the illustration thing, right? And this is, you know, it's just a funny choice of words given that, like, this film is, you know, an illustration. Like, and I think, like, just sort of what I was saying again, like, part of the illustrative... The illustrative nature of the film is, is one thing, is that you feel the way you do when the town is getting massacred. Like, you become the example of exactly his point. Um, which I, which I think is meant to say something more along the lines of like, you know, whatever kind of cliche, like any of us could have been Auschwitz guards, you know, evil can mm -hmm. spring up anywhere, but yeah. the film has been described as like super misanthropic, like just, 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 just a super negative view of humanity. Just like you are evil, also, these people I are evil, everyone is evil. That it was like viewed as like anti-American, which is weird to me. That just seems I didn't like a get cringe. that. Well, I mean, what's not to get? Well, I mean, it's clearly... What's related not the, to what's not to get small brain no yeah. well, well no there's clearly an american connection and it's really hard to not i mean of course people are going to walk away and be like you know it's hard to see all this go down and then the credits is the song young americans showing a pictures of poor americans you know how do you not walk away and be like oh i get it trier so america's like this dog feels like america we're all bad but wow. i definitely think it's much more like humanity is rotten yeah, I mean, I think I think it's kind of like the the film is like political allegory for America, and then that, and then, but also as um the whole world or whatever, just humanity. But um, yeah, I mean, it being like quote like anti-American or something, I think would be to. I don't know, like not give the film its due, you know, because because it's like it, it, it's it's a critique of America. But I think that like, I don't know, true love for certain like American ideals or something uh, if is like to embody that is to question them constantly or something like this. Yeah. And, and so I think, yeah, it's worth mentioning that Trier said that this is the first film in a trilogy titled The Land of Opportunities Trilogy. Okay. Well, and the second right. one is about American. The second one, Manderley, is about American slavery, which I haven't seen yet, but want to see so bad. Okay. 
All right. Well, I guess that's pretty on the nose then. It's. I don't know. I think it. I mean, I think. Well, come on. I mean, I think it's way more broad than just America. Oh well, no, no. I'm just Something saying. Like, that, like, obvi- said, oh, like yeah. there's. It's obvious to me now why yeah, that yeah, is yeah, something yeah. that's been said. Yeah, I think I love the credits and the young Americans just because... So funny. Uh, just because, well, yeah, it's so funny because it is so provocative and on the nose and just yeah. like, a, <laughs> yeah. just like a, it's just kind of like, yeah, this is what this film was about. Like, yeah, yeah, you especially know? And, and, coming off the tail of this incredibly allegorical tale of Old and New Testament ethics and... And what is so, arrogance and morality? And then uh, it's like, you know, four Americans. Another, another yeah. thing that I want to say, another, another reason why I really like the movie is because I think there was a lot of things that were on the nose, like the conversation with the father. There's yeah. some parts with like narration. I like, I don't, like, I didn't get the feeling that a lot I get from like a lot of like heady movies is like, they're trying to say something, but they they just want to shroud it in allegory yeah. and they 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 have something that they want to say directly but they're just not saying it and they'd rather just you know no. obfuscate obfuscate it but that, to me it was very clear that there was no attempt at obfuscation he wasn't trying to like just hide something in allegory just because he wanted to like flex his like how much he knew or something like that to me it was as direct as he could possibly make his message and he did it in like the ways that he knew how, and that's something that I could really appreciate about art is when I don't feel like the artist is trying to be like above me by like flexing like how much more they know about something else, you know? Yeah, definitely a super on the nose, and there's something interesting about how well it works. I mean, obviously a bunch of character names. I mean, yeah, there's a bunch of stuff that's extremely on the nose. The person's name is Faith. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Like uh, the dog's name is Moses. Like, yeah, dog name Moses, Grace, all these things. Um. But just to your point about the conversation, like, I mean, think about it. Yeah, like, this whole thing, right? We're watching it. She's watching it, or she's living it, and we're watching all these horrible things happen to her. Just this absolute nightmare. And why? Because she's stuck between a rock and a hard place. And what's the hard place? The mob, whatever that means, right? So then it comes to fruition in this great crescendo, in which she's walking into the car to talk to the thing that is, you know, blah blah blah. blah. So you're imagining, oh my gosh, what's this going to be like, right? And they get in there. And there's not some, okay, well, I'm not about to put down Dostoevsky, but like you want to think like this isn't some, you know, Dostoevskyan conversation that's sort of shrouded by language and all these things, right? It's definitely not a put down. (laughs) But you know what I mean? It's something something very different, right? Obviously, Dostoevsky does like a beast. You know, you can think of other movies where they try and like, I know you're saying, right? Like like they're trying to have some, trying to talk about some deep idea and to avoid it sounding cliche, they have this you know circumventing conversation where they beat around the bush and stuff like this anyway but they have this like superhuman down-to-earth language conversation where it's like it's absurd it's ridiculous right this incredible universal allegory blah 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 boils down to this conversation and we're all like oh my gosh and they're like no you're arrogant no you're arrogant you're so oh so annoying you won't even this and but then there's some more precise language that's much more on the nose but yeah like i found that so interesting because it's just not what you expect and yet it works so well and blah 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 what i love about that is i I think there's some point to be made about like the kind of uh banal conversations that you have and uh put put um into the kind of cosmic backdrop or whatever like the real like uh moral weight of what's being said in this kind of almost everyday seeming conversation yeah uh 
is put into like its true perspective and implication or something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. Um all right. This is gonna stretch me a bit here, so pray for me. The uh you know, hopefully it goes better than the last time. So <laughs> <laughs> um to me it was strange because at the you know, she encounters her father and like what it is that she doesn't want is she doesn't want like power or something like that. Like there's some and then to me there's some idea embedded in there of the fetishization of like the poor quaint town thing does that make sense yeah yeah her whole and i see and i see that and i see that a lot in people who especially people who are privileged is that they see like the poor and like the working class as like as like this symbol of like purity you know and Mm. i think when she actually goes into that town she actually sees that it actually isn't pure at all and yeah, I suppose that's it. I think I did a decent, well, I did a better yeah. job than I thought I was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's only at the last moment because <laughs> she just real quick, John. Yeah. When he when she they have the little conversation in the car and he's like, "All right, I guess we'll leave." Like, am I leaving with my daughter? And she says, "No, she's gonna stay." Yeah. You know, before she crazy. takes her before she takes her stock, she's like, "I'm still gonna stay" because she's still at the thing. She's like, "They're doing their best." under very difficult conditions exactly exactly and you see right? that like like yeah, like, like, yeah, yeah, like yeah. even even being living in that split space and like uh, maybe i'm i might and they don't they, this, but they, they don't even but, see themselves like that yeah to might, your point. but but so something that i see a lot is people like feeling extremely like bad for the homeless and there's something to be feel bad about clearly there is a rough situations there but i had a job where I was in the homeless place in my town. Like, it was where all the homeless people interacted. And I talked to them all day. I'm not joking, because it was a dead space. And some of them are cool, but a lot of them really were not great people. And I'll, I'll leave it at, I'll leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. um, all right, well, I, I just want to separate myself from Brody real quick. <laughs> For all the people at home listening to this on their PlayStation 3, uh, Brody and I are different people. I mean, I, th- I think, once again, I think that the... that the um... I'm with you, Brody. I know you're saying it. Okay, yeah, I know. I, but oh, yeah. it, felt, it felt worth saying. Well, okay. Can I talk about... There's a, another article that... Um, I, I don't know if Brody or Tanner read it, but um, me I and... Troy read it, um, but it's about uh, a lot of the photos at the end that um, it shows are from the Farm Security Administration, which was like, there's some of like the most famous like photos kind of um, of people like down on their luck or whatever, like during depression and such in the Dust Bowl. It's like a photo book, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, it's like one of the most, I mean, all the photos are taken from like one of the most famous photo books in American yeah. photographic history. Yeah, and the purpose of the the kind of stated purpose of the photo book is to kind of show the it's kind of sentimentalize these people or something and like kind of show you the the kind of how how badly this is affecting like all of these good American people and things. Um and then there was a photo book later that was created and it was taken it, all these photos taken of the people who um of the people who survived or whatever um, that were in the original photos and uh, accompanying the photos 
uh, are stories of these people. And all of them were like, almost all of them is what I get the impression from the article or whatever. Um, well, okay. One of them is of like this father or whatever. And the father had like an incestuous relationship with his daughter and had like many kids and then uh, what else did he do? I don't know. Basically, it's yeah. just like conde- like like stories that are like completely impossible to ignore as being like um, excusable or something like this. Yeah, because of their state. And uh, yeah, the article was kind of like uh, suggesting that this was something that might have inspired Trier or whatever. But either way, the effect is the same with the yeah, photos, seems... except in in reverse or whatever, okay. where where like you you uh, get this kind of full you get uh, into this kind of like fever pitch of emotion or whatever, or why these terrible people should die. And then you're immediately confronted with these kind of people who are in their actual material conditions. And they're not separable by some like allegorical thing where they're on a stage or whatever. And you actually see kind of like the reality of how horrible these people's lives are. And you just condemned them and were hyped that they're all getting killed or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and I think that like, to me, that also is shown in I'm forgetting his name all the time. Apple Orchard guy, like Chuck. I Chuck, Evil he Chuck. saw he saw I think because he came from a big town and he went to a little town. And he saw the same sort of thing, it is like all oh, the little town people, like you know, they're just all good, wholesome people who are you know just down on their luck and and you know they're that's it. You know, there's better people here, and you see that I I see that sort of idea a lot that people like who are small town and don't have much money as better people, more moral people. And, and then he says, earth. and then he says explicitly, he says they're just the same people, but like who weren't, who weren't successful. And that's all they are. And, yeah. uh, and I think, and I, that's another reason explicit, like not trying to beat around the bush there. And a great point. I mean, yeah. it's kind of yeah, yeah. some, if I can just quit the line. Yeah. Cause yeah. he, yeah, he says they're just as rotten as the city folk, you know? And he's like, they're just not successful. You know, they'll, you know, give them food and they'll eat themselves to death. Exactly. Like, and given given her presence, her, like, joint, like what she brought to make the city better, like, they ended up just completely exploiting it. Completely yeah. exploiting her. And it was, yeah. it's awful. It's awful. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say is that, like, back to the point we were making before is the only reason why they aren't evil or whatever or don't uh, enact their carnal desires um is because they're not given an opportunity to exactly exactly and like that's what gives them the symbol of purity but it's but it's actually just because yeah they ha- they don't have the opportunity to do so yeah yeah what yeah, a, yeah yeah what a, but i agree i agree God, that's, such a, that's that such a good total, point i know it's such a good well i agree that it's totally a cultural like phenomenon that like people see uh those who are either poor or live simple lives like um this might be rough like yeah, just like they're sort of glorified or romanticized, you know, and um, hmm, I'll just yeah, I'll leave it. Like, at that. like I, I, well, I said the well, homeless thing, could, dude, and then yeah, 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 well, I'm, yeah, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm already the enemy well, here. Can I say um, to the point that I was making before about being confronted with the photos or whatever? If you're confronted with those photos before watching the film, like unrelated to the film. Your first thoughts might be sentimental ones. Oh, these poor people, you know. Yeah. Just and like I think me. that I think that when you see them in the credits, you're um, right after this. I mean, you're faced with 
the not some kind of you're not faced with oh my gosh i hate these people now look at all these horrible people what you're faced with is those same emotions but in the context of how complicated the situation really is so while the film while the film something that the photos do um is that uh i mean if you just watch the film without the the credits or whatever I think that like you could project it and apply it to like all poor people or something like this and walk away with it with like screw poor people like they're all terrible people too Mm -hmm. or something like that but that what the photos actually do and what I think one of the main like political points that Trayer is trying to make is something like this is how complicated the situation actually is yeah it's not I mean I don't think that he's taking either like direct side as in these people are horrible and deserve no condemnation because there's still the, I mean, he, I think he acknowledges the kind of emotional weight and, and, uh, uh, feeling to lean towards the kind of more liberal notion. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, for sure. He has a statement. I mean, I hate, I really wish, whatever i i don't like when like artists or whatever directors like say what their stuff is about because i like basically never even believe them but he's got some line oh the, they're at least trusted okay this listen to this line and think about how evil it is that it exists not the content this is a uh, wikipedia according to von trier the point of the film is that <laughs> quote evil can arise anywhere as long as the situation is right so that's just to your point john but also yeah, right. But I think I because I, I think these photos, right, are so popular, right? We've all seen like dust ball photos of like the woman with the child, right? Right. To a large extent, these are just like empathy generators because people project themselves onto the people there, just like Grace projected herself onto the exactly the, yeah. the, the occupants of Dogville, and she says like, "Oh, what if that were me? You know, what if that were me? You know, blah 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 blah." Although usually when we look at the photos, we think, you know, what if I were in such a bad situation? Mm-hmm. Whereas in Dogville, it's more like, what if I had those, like, what if that were me and my ethics or something like this? It's more about like this moral relativism in Dogville, whereas in the photos is more economically oriented. But yeah, after seeing the film, then you see the faces. And I think another way of saying exactly what you've said, you've said, right, it's really complicated. I think another way or something else would be like, that's not me. Well, right, I mean, like that's I mean, that's that's not me. Like that's not a picture of me in a different situation. Like that's like, someone else, is and that, who knows what they're like. Is that like when people are like viewing history? Like there are people are obviously like positing themselves as like the protagonist, as the virtuous one, as the moral one, and then like given that circumstance, like I would be the good person in the yeah. in Nazi Germany yeah. and things yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. like what what this leads you to believe is like. So given these circumstances, like given what you've just experienced while watching the movie, at the end of it, who are you? Like you're the Nazi, presumably. Like that's what sort of yeah. what's led to you on um, what a lot of people would feel at the end. Yeah. And yeah. you know, you're not the good person. Or or you know, maybe you are. It's it's like complicated. Yeah, yeah I think like, I think that the film the film is more so like a condemnation of humanity and it uses this like empathetically charged cultural piece of these dust bowl photos and whatnot as a way to talk about um talk about like the 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 evil of humanity you know like mm-hmm. like while while it is about these people or whatever like in a but that that is um that that is like the lowest resolution interpretation or way to look at the photos that instead it's like 
look at this thing that I'm talking about. This is, and it's more of like a gateway into this applies to everyone. Does that yeah, make sense? Not, yeah, I think it makes sense. And just to respond sort of what Brody said, right? It's in my mind, it's not about, and I, I don't think that you necessarily disagree with this, but it's not that grace is saying, or grace's attitude, like this moral relativism, is such that, well, um, if, like you are saying, people like to think of themselves as like they would be the good guys in the past, or like if they're in the bad situation, they do good, right? Grace is not that attitude. Grace is saying, if I were in your situation, I'd be doing what you're doing. Right. And that's right. okay, right? It's something to be ashamed about. She tells Chuck after he's raped her. He, he, she describes him as he's not strong. He's not strong. You know, he's well, just confused. And she, and she says, you know, he, you know, he's doing his best, blah, blah, blah. Like, she's trying to down, like, sort of like a moral relativist say, well, it's, well it's, they're it's doing down- something different and it's not exactly evil. It's, but it's just it's something, an important distinction is that it's downtrodden those who are seen as the vulnerable, seen as the weak, seen as the downtrodden. And those people are the ones who are generally given the sympathy of like, oh, well, if I was in their situation, I would be, be, be different. But when it comes to the people who are the, the, in power, the Nazis, those uh-huh. are the people who's like, well, I would never be like them. Yeah. And that's also ties into the fact that like she doesn't want that power, her father's power, because like maybe she associates some sort of like evilness to it. And I think there's even maybe like, once again, my ignorance, but like some New Testament ideas of like power being evil. And I think I, there's, some, there's something a little bit in there. And and Jesus Christ, like, right. having too much sympathy for, like, the downtrodden and things like that. My point is just to say, I think you're right. Like, there's meekness and blah, 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 Nietzsche. So, mm-hmm. but, but, but you have, like, um, and it, like, a more relativist point is something along the lines of, given the right circumstances, humans will commit certain acts. Whereas this attitude is more like, given the right circumstances, humans will create or will commit evil acts that are evil, whether or not they, it, if they're doing their best or not, yes, right? So suppose yes, they're doing, yeah. like, there are a lot of situations in which humans will do their best and their best is evil yeah. and that's wrong and blah, blah, blah. So it's not, so, so it really is like a truly anti-human view or something where it's like, right? It's not like this relativist thing where it's like, oh, oh yeah, you know, like, what's evil, what's not, depends on the circumstance. It's like, no, there are a lot of people who in their best, doing their best means doing absolute evil and, you know, they ought to be annihilated. And I think, um, I think it's a, I think it's an anti, like anti atheist view or something like that. Relativist view, anti relativist view, but a view such that it's like anyone can be super evil. And the fact that it's not your fault doesn't mean you're not evil. Mm-hmm. And um, like the world would be better off without Dogville. If right? I like could. this is Grace's thing at the end. It's like the world is a better place without Dogville. It could happen again. And even if that's if that and that's true as no function of like the potential agency of its inhabitants. Like suppose they are doing the best. Mm-hmm. The world's better off without you, or something like this. Like something real evil like this. Unless you guys wanna continue on this topic, I have something kind of specific about the film that's not Should we particularly should we do that related. in the ratings? Uh, yeah, because we have we have about five minutes left. Okay, okay. okay. I think we're supposed to keep it to under two hours, okay, and we're is... at one fifty-five. So okay, this is super short, and then we can move on. Yeah. I was just gonna say that the uh, the interlude or not interlude is that what it's called the the music that continually plays. Oh yeah, it's the beginning of a um, prayer song called Stabat Mater, which is I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but yeah, but uh, which um, this. Um, which translates to um, 
Oh man, I had it. Oh, the sorrowful mother was standing, and it's about um, Mary or whatever at the bottom of the cross viewing uh, Christ be crucified. And I think that's really interesting because I think it kind of like the the film puts us in the position of Mary or whatever watching this Christ figure or whatever being crucified mm. by the people. Mm. I don't know. I just thought it was super super yeah, interesting artistic choice. And the music. I mean, I don't know. I mean, just like aesthetically and like. It fits so well, even without the context, like the music. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's just great, sure. and it adds to us as like a godlike audience because the music is heard only by us, and it's us at the foot of the cross. You know, like yeah, you know. yeah, 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 totally. Um, just in a similar vein, on the I don't know if you guys noticed on the mine shaft on the wood, there's this Latin phrase. You guys know what I'm talking about or no? I know the I know those words. I didn't. Yeah, it says like <laughs> dictum. Uh, anyway, basically says immediately said immediately done and the only other reference i could find were to a like ancient roman playwright who was who like was a big deal for comedy mm. I, I don't know i i, I tried to translate them mm. all right yeah we gotta we gotta be quick uh ratings i'm giving it a i don't know what i have it currently scored at but right now I'm i feeling, do i know i looked it up right after and i was oh really i'm yeah. feeling i'm feeling a 4.1 that's what you gave it before are you serious uh, i think it was and i think your overall c which whatever that means is 4. yeah it's just 2. the current score okay so this means i'm downgrading it to 4.1 wow so you didn't like this one as much as uh like piano teacher oh piano teacher hits different i don't know dude i don't know all right whatever, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, my my score is 4.7 i really want to give it 4.8 a little but i feel like if i give it 4.8 i'm not giving enough room for other movies Actually, you know what? Fuck this. 4.8. Okay. 4.8. I'll give it a 3.6. I think a lot of it went over my head that uh, I didn't engage with it the way I should have, I think. But uh, not to say that I won't watch it again. Uh, I give as it... Long as, you want, as long as you wanted the kids to die, I feel like you got it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I give it a uh, 4.2. Uh, must watch... So epic. Must <laughs> watch. So <laughs> I don't know. I just, I, yeah, I really love this film. I think it kind of exemplifies a lot of Trier's uh, ideas very well. And I don't know. It's just like brilliant execution of so many uh, and just kind of mastery of uh, technique. Clearly, so you guys good. didn't get it as much as I did. If you did, <laughs> if you did you'd give it a higher score. Right, yeah, <laughs> yeah I, mean, I agree with. Agree with agree with john super interesting and we have got to talk about house of jack built because i feel like that is even like that is very much in a similar vein of like everyone is going to get super amped up about i i don't know i i hope whatever we'll see what we watch next I don't know. All, right, all right boys yes it's been a pleasure see you next week audience yeah <laughs>